Welcome back to the Physicians Helping Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Mudge Riley. I changed careers back in the early 2000s, and I found it difficult to find credible, reliable resources to help me. So once I successfully transitioned to a non-clinical career, I made it my mission to help other physicians who were looking at a possible non-clinical or non-traditional career, whether part-time, full-time, or just diversifying their career with a non-clinical side gig. And today I have a new guest that we haven't talked to before, Dr. Jill Weiner. She's going to tell her story about her non-clinical journey and how she just really took the road less traveled. She's done some really interesting different stuff that I feel like is pretty unusual, but she's succeeded in almost everything she's done. So you're gonna wanna listen to this, especially if you're tired of hearing about the same types of non-clinical transitions over and over. Hi, Jill. Hi. We're so excited to have you today. So I guess, you know, just let's get started like we normally do. If you could just tell the audience a little bit about you, your background and, you know, what led you to medicine and then kind of what caused you to think, hmm, I'm not sure this is right and what you did from there. Absolutely. So thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Um, I started out as traditional as traditional gets, uh, family full of doctors, and I actually did want to go into medicine. It was, it was my choice. Um, I was an internal medicine hospitalist for 10 years at Rush, found a really great job right out of residency, teaching, doing faculty development. Um, and I, so I was super traditional up until that point. Um, and then I, do you, would you like to hear more about my medical background? Is that? Sure. Yeah. I think everyone is really interested in just kind of understanding where you came from because we all kind of come from the same place and then things get a little bit messy. So sure. I think people will identify with your, um, your journey. So keep going. Yes. Okay. So, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I started, I went to med school at Emory at, at uh, in college. I was actually a religion major, which is interesting. Cause I think that's the first time I stepped outside the box. Cause I just didn't want to be a bio major and I didn't want to be a chem major. And I just thought that was what you're supposed to do. And I remember my dad being like, they're not, you know, it's not going to be good for your med school applications. And it turned out to be really good um, because it made me diverse, which is ridiculous because I'm like not a diverse person, but it made, it made me different from my other people. And I had good grades in my medical courses, my pre-med courses. So I think that worked. Um, and then I went to, um, to med school at Emory. And then I did my internal medicine residency at University of Washington. And then when I was out there, it was really fun and exciting to be very far away from home, which is Atlanta. And then my sister had um, preemie twins that are now 15 and ragingly healthy, uh, but had preemie twins when I was just at the beginning of my third year of residency, same weekend as Hurricane Katrina, actually. And um, I just knew I needed to be in Chicago. I knew I needed to be with them. So I found my job at Rush and uh, was a kind of... Uh, a lovely place to work academia, but not too academic, if that makes sense. Not like a mass general or something like that. And, um, and then in 2011, I got really burnt out. That's when the work hours changed, the residency work hours changed. And I was a hot mess. Um, I, and I was always very like type A, not spiritual, 
my, my like self-care regimen included probably drinking too much and like working out, but I didn't have, I think I had done some yoga, but that was it. And met someone who told me they meditated twice a day. And I just knew like, I need to know what, tell me everything I need to know. So I went to go see their teacher speak, decided to pay an exorbitant amount of money to learn this meditation technique that I knew nothing about. At that time, no one was meditating. That was not something people were doing in my circle, at least certainly they were, but not in my circle. And I took this meditation class and three weeks later, I didn't have any road rage and my burnout was gone and it was easy to do and it felt good. And I was happy again. Like it, it worked and I felt great. And I was like, okay, cool. And I couldn't believe that a practice like meditation would actually work for someone like me and that it would feel good. And that I would be doing it twice a day and loving it. Um, so I went about my career. Like I was the director of faculty development in the medical college and director of education in my division uh, as a hospitalist, a workaholic still, but like productive and doing great. And then um, kind of started to have the sense that I'd wake up when I was 65 and feel like I wish that I had done something different, but that I would have been happy enough anyway. And um, I decided to become a teacher in my meditation tradition, which required three months in India. So that's obviously like take some time to plan and coordinate, but I always plan to come back to be a hospitalist part-time. And then I had a, a really um, a chance to move overseas before my meditation teacher training uh, to China. So I said, you know what, life's too short. I'm just going to do that. And then I'm going to go to India and then see what comes next. And that's why I left my job. I never really intended to leave medicine. It's actually happy. You know, I was doing well, but it just felt like, why not? At that time, ISIS was literally like chopping people's heads off and posting videos of it. And I just said, I, you never know what's going to happen. So I, I did all those things. I moved to China, I went to India and um, decided not to go back to China, decided to come back to the States, but I'd already said my goodbyes to Chicago and Chicago weather. So I moved back to Atlanta where I grew up and, um, and I, I actually moved in with my parents for like six to seven months because I didn't really know. I was like, I'm a meditation teacher now, poof. And I didn't really, I hadn't planned to be back in Atlanta. So for anyone who's thinking about a career change and worried about the financial stuff, like you'll get through it. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't always look pretty, but you'll get through it. Um, and then I started, started growing my meditation practice. And along the way I became, so I guess maybe I'll stop there. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there. I mean, <laughs> yeah. what, what, how brave you are to just decide to move to China. I mean, I remember watching, I think it was the new karate kid or something. Have you seen that one where they moved? I to haven't. China? All right. Well, never mind. We won't go through it, but it's just, it paints this picture of, wow, it is not easy to move to China. And so I'm sure that it was not easy to do that. Um, and then, then you went on to India. Wow. All right. So you never planned to leave and then it all just kind of worked out that way. Um, can you talk with us a little bit about this, this meditation stuff that you're doing? Um, is it sure. traditional or how does it work? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk about that. And I will say like, after being out of medicine for six months, that's when I realized, and then spending three months in India, like barefoot dancing, you know, meditating in the moonlight, like, the most ridiculous, you know, like I never, ever pictured wow. that I'd be doing that. Yeah. I'm not like that now. Like I've re reacclimated to regular society, but, 
That's cool though. (laughs) But that was when I decided not to go back to medicine, to practicing medicine, because I just, it didn't resonate anymore. And I finally had like something else I could offer the world that I felt like a thousand percent committed to. Um, So the meditation is very different from mindfulness. Um, Mindfulness is amazing and I have no beef with it. A lot of people find it very difficult and um, then get very turned off of meditation. And that kind of tends to be all that, that we see that we get exposed to in the medical field. Um, So what I teach is similar to transcendental meditation, if you've heard of that, but I'm an independent teacher. So I'm not part of any organization or corporation and my, my, my practice is my own. Um, and basically I have a a live version that I teach and an online version that I teach. Um, the online version is actually CME accredited for anyone who's interested in learning to meditate and wants to, you know, kill two birds with one stone. Uh, it's called the rest technique. My live course is called conscious health meditation. And I basically teach people to be self-sufficient meditators. So it's, I'm teaching a skill rather than doing a guided visualization or a, a type of mindfulness practice. And it's just ridiculously easy. We sit comfortably. It's, and it's really powerful. So it, it, it feels too good to be true. And it, it does, it doesn't fix everything. Like I used to think that this meditation would fix everything in the whole world, as long as we all meditated. I know it doesn't, but it is really amazing. And it makes everything else that we do work even better. So it, it sort of lays the groundwork for anything else one might do to um, self-improvement or wellness or anything like that. Wow. Uh, can you talk about some of the outcomes that some of the physicians have had after going through your program? Yeah. Um, and I, you know, it's funny, I have this meditation course for doctors and I do, uh, retreats for, for women in healthcare. Um, it helps people a just manage stress, feel like you're a lot of us feel like maybe most of us feel like we're on the verge of losing, losing it at all times. (laughs) Like one thing happens and we snap and that's, what's called adaptation energy. And if we have enough of it, we can handle the the small stuff. And if we run out of it, we're toast. And so, um, and we set, it sets off the whole fight or flight cascade. Mm -hmm. Um, so this technique gives us more adaptation energy. It's two to five times more restful than sleep and it activates the parasympathetic nervous system. And it actually heals the stresses, the stress scars that we carry around with us our whole life. Mm -hmm. So it gives us more adaptation energy. So we find ourselves going through life much more adaptable, less resistant to change, um, and just more even keeled. Um, it also helps with compassion and helping see patients really where they are rather than where we want them to be. Um, surrendering control is a huge thing that brought so much more joy to my life and less stress, recognizing that I don't have the answer to everything, nor should I. And that trying to control the outcomes of everything was kind of the source of all of my suffering as, as a physician, Uh, we can use our best guesses, but we can't make things happen the way we want. And we're often wrong and that's okay. Um, it helps with efficiency and energy. So that three o'clock lull, uh, where your eyes are bleary and you're still charting, um, and have all this other work to do. You do, you do your, you know, 15 to 20 minute meditation and you feel much more revitalized. And also a lot of my doctor clients have improved decision-making and clinical judgment, um, and as well as administrative stuff. So one of my clients is a surgeon and she was able to make a diagnosis, a rare diagnosis that no one else had thought of that came to her while she was meditating. Uh, it was a pheochromocytoma, which we've heard of, but it wasn't like a typical presentation of it. Yeah. 
And um, another one of my students is a uh, chair of medicine and she has always like working out administrative stuff in her brain and, and she's able, she says it helps her solving that kind of problem as well. So it's a creativity that isn't like, oh, I'm sculpture and, and art necessarily. It's a different kind of creativity. And it, it, for me, it just changed the whole way I was in the world, which sounds like not even fathomable, but it really <laughs> was that profound for me. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that sounds amazing. And so is it, is it a traditional meditation? Cause I remember seeing something on your website about tapping. What, what is tapping and how does that fit in? So the med- the meditation and the tapping are two separate techniques that they're both amazing. And I, I'm a practitioner of both of them. Um, the meditation is more of your tra- traditional, like you're sitting quiet and doing the technique. Uh, you know, we sit comfortably in the meditation and you do the technique and you open your eyes. Uh, the tapping is a more, so the meditation is more like a, a general cleaning. If you were to think about like a preventative thing, like going to the dentist, but like that feels good and isn't uncomfortable, but it's a general, like, like healthcare wellness upkeep. And you do the meditation practice regularly and it prevents you from getting as stressed and it brings all these other benefits. The tapping is more like a spot cleaning. Tapping is also called the emotional freedom technique or EFT. Um, the meditation and the tapping that I do, they're both evidence-based. Um, and the tapping um, or EFT, uh, it sends calming center, centers to our limbic system, to the hippocampus and amygdala in the setting of something distressing or, or uncomfortable. So we actually tap out loud on a specific issue. If you may be anxious about something or angry at somebody, or you're tapping through a fear, like a self-limiting belief, um, you know, and for a lot of doctors who are transitioning out of wanting to transition out of clinical belief, uh, clinical careers, this is whole, like, I'm never going to be able to do it. Um, I'm not going to make enough money. I'm not worthy. If I'm not a doctor, who am I, if I'm not a doctor, all of that, like I'll never be successful with anything else. So those are self-limiting beliefs. They're absolutely not true, but somewhere along the line, we pick them up. I have to be working hard and be miserable to support myself, you know, all that kind of stuff. So those are the kind of things we can do with tapping and it's not flowery affirmations. We get right in there and we're acknowledging and confronting those negative, um, like distressing emotions or symptoms that we're having. It can be used for pain as well. It can be used for trauma, PTSD, um, getting over a divorce, going through, you know, any, anything difficult in life, grief, Um, and it allows the nervous system to, to calm down in that distressing, um, trigger. Mm. And then once it's calmed down, then we can start reflecting on some of the positivity that comes out of it. Cause my clients have these incredible aha moments during it. Um, what we call it a cognitive shift where it's like, Oh, the reason why I'm this is because of this, or I don't have to keep doing this what I really need to do is this. And it's all subconscious communication. Mm -hmm. It all comes from within my clients, but I'm helping to facilitate it. Um, So I do the tapping in group settings. And I also do it on the, in one-on-one sessions that are, uh, you know, quite a bit more in depth and really going through issues, but it's also really great in the group setting. Mm -hmm. I've been doing it a ton during COVID to help support um, healthcare professionals with all the stress that's been coming up with COVID. So 
Um, I've loved it in that because the meditation, I have to teach you how to do it, or you take the online course and you have to learn tapping works in a second. It, you can just start tapping. It's guided. It's like call and response. So I say it and you're mirror imaging me and do it like tapping on the same. There's these um, points on the face and chest that you tap on. Mm-hmm. They're the same energy centers or meridians as acupuncture. Mm-hmm. And um, as we tap on them, we say these things out loud, but I come up with a script. So you don't even have to think of what to say. And it can work in as quickly as 10 or 15 minutes with no tapping experience. So it's really nice because it's, it's evidence-based. It's really quick. There's very little side effects and it doesn't, you don't have to take on a whole new practice to benefit from it. Yeah. Well, it sounds really neat. Um, if I really haven't heard a whole lot about it, but it, it sounds like something that is helpful for just about everyone. Is, is there a certain person this would not be helpful for? Um, the only thing I would say is for someone, I, if you're totally like not open to doing something different, mm-hmm. it will not be as, it probably won't be as effective because you're going to be kind of shutting yourself down to it working. It's yeah. not a placebo, but it's, if you're not into it, then don't, then don't try. But if you're just curious and you see how it works, sometimes it works so well, people almost don't even believe <laughs> that, it, that it worked. Cause it's like, wait a minute. No, this isn't, this isn't a tenolol. This isn't, you know, <laughs> a cardiac cath. This isn't like hard medicine. This is some other thing, but it works so quickly, but it's almost like our Western medical brains can't even wrap around yeah. the fact that it worked. Right. Um, yeah. And then for people who've had major trauma, Um, it's important to do, I would recommend doing the one-on-one work. Um, I'm trained to work through trauma and, uh, it's a very trauma informed approach, but it, the the one thing is that it can be very triggering for people who have had trauma. And if you're not working with someone who's trained to do that, um, it can end up re re, um, triggering you. Um, so the, the group stuff is okay. As long as you keep it real basic and real symptom management, like, I'm angry at my mom, but the trauma came not related to the mom, but we don't want to be group tapping through something where you're not going to have one-on-one attention. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think you have a retreat coming up, right? Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that for anyone who might be interested? I can. So I do these women in healthcare meditation retreats at Miraval Spa in Arizona, which is the most magical place ever. Um, (laughs) And it's all inclusive. So you kind of pay up front for that and you get included in that all you can eat at the resort. They they have spa credits. So it's like, uh, I don't know, between five and $700 of spa credits included in the retreat price. You get, I teach my meditation course, the, the live one, Uh, There's six hours of CME included. And then also I do a tapping workshop. So there's a way to uh, where I teach people, not, not just me doing it, but actually teaching people how to do their own tapping and and Mm -hmm. working together in groups on it. Plus so much more. I mean, it's such an incredible, incredible place. Um, So that is October 12th through 16th and the early bird closes uh, June 15th. So you can just look on my website, jillweiner.com and uh, go under, uh, for doctors or under the meditation part and go to the part about retreats. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited about that. I did one, uh, this will be my third one. And it's a really, just every time it's a really powerful, um, a really powerful experience. And Miraval is 
not over the top attentive, but they're extremely attentive to COVID cleanliness. And I did actually a retreat in March there and it was lovely. We were all vaccinated and it was great. Um, and, and it worked really well. So, um, it should be even better in October because I think things will have opened up a little bit. For sure. Yeah. I'm seeing that too. Oh, that sounds really great. Do you have a limit on the number of people that can sign up for that? Yes, it is. It is limited somewhere between 15 and 20, I think probably. So somewhere around there, it's, I like to keep the group small. Right. Um, and I really, it's, it's designed to be as little effort and scheduling as possible. So there's meditation with me in the morning, and then there's a, a little workshop with me in the late evening or not late evening, uh, late afternoon. Mm-hmm. And the whole rest of the day is free to enjoy the spa and the resort wow. and everything that's there. Cause it's, wow. it's so lovely. I there's, and there's so many great resources to, mm-hmm. to take advantage of there. So that's part of the magic of it too. Nice. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we've taken up a lot of time talking about this, which is definitely necessary because this is really the bulk of what you've transitioned to. And I know people are interested in understanding and knowing what their options are. Um, So not only is this sort of thing definitely doable, I mean, clearly you're making it work very well, um, but it's also a service that you provide to other physicians. So really it's kind of a dual benefit to anyone listening. I do want to talk though a little bit about some of the other things you're doing because they are really impactful and just very timely right now. Um, so, so we share a common colleague, um, Maisha Claiborne, and I know that the two of you have partnered together on something. Would you like to talk a little bit about that and how that fits into all of this, what you're Absolutely. doing? Absolutely. Yeah. She's my work wife. She's, she's the best. <laughs> so, um, so Along my journey, um, in my meditation training, uh, so, so yeah, I'll just kind of tease it out. Yeah. Um, I had written this blog post about after the 2016 election, like we're all going to be okay. I promise. Yeah. And a friend of mine, who's a, a sociologist sent me a, a, a pretty snarky message. Cause we weren't that good of friends at the time at that point. Hey, your blog post is really privileged. Just thought you might want to know. And she sent me an article written by a black man that says, Dear white people, please stop telling me it's going to be okay. Oh my gosh. And I was like, I'm not racist. What is she talking about? What is privilege? I don't even do it. And then I was like, I don't even know what she's talking about. What is privilege? So I started to read mostly to just like prove her wrong. Cause we had a, at that point, we've all had friendships like that, that have maybe been really great at times and then have kind of run their course. And I started to realize she was totally right. And I just, you know, I was defensive, but I didn't let that stop me. And I, read and I had to like dismantle my own ideas about like what it meant to be a well-intending white liberal and really just like dove into this, this anti-racism work and um, ended up going on a retreat where it was like for allies, basically it was called allies in action. Some people don't love the word allies, but that the same, the concept is there and realized that like as we were working through some of the concepts around social justice and systemic racism, how in, in this, this paper called the symptoms of white supremacy culture. So thinking about it as a disease and the ways it shows up in the world, recognizing that the defensiveness and the perfectionism and the sense of urgency and the need to be comfortable, mm-hmm. those are all, those are some of the symptoms. Mm-hmm. How, and, and how do I recognize that in myself and realize that's mind body stuff. That's, feeling that discomfort as it comes up and 
and um, using tools to make myself more resilient and to, to increase my emotional intelligence so that I don't go out into anti-racism spaces or the world in general and act like a, like a fragile white person and, mm -hmm. and, and make things worse and cause harm. Or if I'm doing anti-racism work, like not doing it in a way that's actually perpetuating racism, which is really a common thing to do being well-intended and doing it completely wrong. Right. So I created with, with the mentorship of the women on my, on my, who led my retreat, the black women who led the retreat, what's called conscious anti-racism, which is using different mind body tools in a pr progressive, um, uh, in a progression to help non-black people, mainly white people, but other people, other people of color who are not black, there's, we're all in the system. We're all drinking it and breathing it in. And so really, really helping everyone to understand the way that white supremacy culture affects all of us and, and tools to not shut down, tools to not start getting angry and to not start shouting at people on Facebook or yeah. end friendships because, you know, and, and then to go into the world in a more productive way and make meaningful change, contribute to meaningful change. So I met Maisha, I, I put together a online course and then I met Maisha um, right before COVID happened. Uh, we met up for the first time. We're both in Atlanta. Yep. It was, I think my last in-person thing that I did before everything shut down. And she's like, okay, I get it. It's funny to hear her talk about it because now mm -hmm. where we're at versus where when we first met, cause she was kind of like, who does this white woman think she is? <laughs> And it was like true, you know, unless you understood yeah. like why I was doing it, like it sounds yeah. totally weird for a white woman to be like making a course on anti-racism. And I'm not a, an expert on the lived experience yeah. of systemic oppression, but I am an expert in being a flailing white person trying to do better. Yeah. And I'm an expert in mind body tools and using those tools in my journey. Yeah. So he was like, have you ever thought about working with someone black in this? And I was like, yes, please. Will you? And like, of course, you know, Right. but I thought it was going to be like, emotional labor and asking black people to do work that white people should be doing kind of themselves. Um, but I kind of miss, I was a little bit misled and that if I'm going to be like selling something or talking about racism, there needs to be both perspectives. It can't just be from the white person. And true. she's an expert of her own in many, 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 many different ways. Mm -hmm. One of them being mind body tools, such as hypnosis and neurolinguistic programming and She's a physician like me and an amazing speaker, an amazing woman, and really understands human nature so well. And so we decided to team up um, to really round out the curriculum that I created, but was missing so much. And it wasn't, it's, it's, it was, you know, the furthest thing from tokenism. It's like, there's no one that could do what she does right. in our, in our curriculum. And so we work together now. We, um, we have re She's joined the online courses. Mm -hmm. uh, we wrote a book together and published a book last November called Conscious Anti-Racism. And we also do corporate trainings and healthcare trainings um, as well. And we have a version of the course for healthcare and then a version for non-healthcare. So we've been busy doing that work in the world as well. And it incorporates tapping and it incorporates mm. not the regular meditation I teach, but it incorporates mm -hmm. mindfulness. How do you use tapping? Like, wait, what? How do I use that? And yeah. It's to process the shame and the guilt and to also um, process any, um, you know, uh, stress around relationships. Or if you said something bad that you are freaking out about, it's not to make it all go away, but it's to process it in a healthy way so that you can then learn from that and, and move forward.
Wow. So it yeah. was like, I always thought my medical career got me to where I was with the meditation so that I could help healthcare professionals. And now I think that the medical care, the medical career and the meditation and tapping have led me to be able to contribute to, to the social justice space. Um, and I've never, never been more passionate about anything. I mean, I could read about, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a student still, like I will always be aspiring, you know, I'm never going to be done with my journey. And so I, I, I consume just as much as I teach, if not more. Um, and it's really been such a, such an honor to work with Maisha. She's incredible. Oh, that is so awesome. Wow. You've got just so much. I mean, we could talk for two hours here. Uh, we've already actually gone over, so we're going to have oh, wow. to okay. start wrapping it up. Um, I guess, you know, just in, in the last maybe 30 seconds, what's some advice that you would give someone who's listening to this podcast and just really not sure what direction to go in, whether it's non-clinical and what to do there or not, um, really just trying to find their way. Majority of people who listen are physicians uh, like us. So what would you tell them? Uh, listen, listen to your gut. Mm. You don't have to live like this. If you don't want to live like this, this is your life and ask for help. So don't do it alone. Um, get a coach, try tapping with me. I have a tapping club. You can join <laughs> to work through some of this stuff, but, but yeah. really it's, it's, it's so doable. You're, you're so, so capable. Um, you've gotten yourself through medical school and, and, and residency and potentially, you know, but some people have want to leave even before residency, but you've gotten yourself through so much. You're absolutely capable and you do have skills. It's just a matter of like getting direction and it can feel really overwhelming to do it alone. Yeah. Great advice. Yeah. Really. I think we're all sort of, um, driven to do it alone, at least at first, whether it's shame or guilt or fear, um, not really knowing who to turn to or how to turn to them. So I love that advice. And if you're listening and you needed to hear those words today, um, I'm glad you're listening. So, all right, Jill, well, we're going to have to wrap it up. Um, one last thing, if, if, how can people find you if they're looking for you and you're courses or your retreats or anything else that you offer? Uh, my website is the best place. So it's jillweiner.com, J-I-L-L-W-E-N-E-R.com. Um, Instagram and Twitter at jillweinermd. Um, you'll find the meditation retreat on there, uh, meditation courses, my tapping club. And if you did wanted to try out one-on-one -on -one tapping as well, you'll find all that on the website. Perfect. Well, Jill, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your expertise and for all that you do, because I'm sure you have helped a lot of people. I know you have. And so just thank you for that. And thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And thanks for everything you do to help physicians in this kind of scary place in their, in their lives. It's really um, great work that you do. Thank you. Well, listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of the Physicians Helping Physicians podcast. We will be back with you in a couple of weeks. And until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and let us know if we can do anything to help you. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this Physicians Helping Physicians podcast. If you are jazzed up after listening to this, hit that subscribe button or check out more at Physicians Helping Physicians, 
phphysicians with an S on the end.com. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you.